Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. We are talking all about salvation today. And it is all about grace. Okay, that's, that is the hope and the point of this message is that we get a better and bigger understanding of the grace of God. Greg mentioned last week that we would be picking up the pace a little bit with Ephesians. Um, kind of going more in a thematic uh, way, uh, looking at the paragraphs more than just kind of a couple verses at a time. And so we are going to look at the larger chunk of Scripture today, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. And in these 10 verses is probably the most succinct, the most succinct gospel presentation that we see in the Scripture. In just 10 verses, Paul explains who you are without God. He explains God's plan for your rescue. He explains God's motivation for your rescue. He explains God's mode of your rescue. And he explains how your life is meant to change because you've been rescued. So just in 10 verses, there's a ton. 10 powerful, powerful verses that explains the whole, whole core of Christianity. And we could, t- we could take a ton of time sp- uh, breaking down these 10 verses. Probably the rest of your life you could mine down and see what these 10 verses are. So when I was in Virginia, I actually had my license plate as Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. Because you could just look at it and see so much. It's beautiful. It's a mountain. And yet, you can look at it in 30 minutes and glean a lot. I think that it's a really good thing that uh, you would revisit Ephesians 2, 1-10 for the rest of your life. This would be one of those passages to star in your Bible. One to, to put in your reminders in your phone to say, hey, maybe I should go look back at this. Because this is, as I said, as powerful as a 10-verse passage could be in the entire Bible. We are going to look at it from a 10,000 foot level this morning. What can we learn from these 10 verses as they fit into the whole picture of Ephesians? Now I think there are several reasons why this is a good way to study this passage. The primary reason why this is a good way is that in the original language, when Paul wrote this letter, Ephesians 2.1-10 was one long run-on sentence. That's a long sentence. He was, he was, he was long-winded, right? Ephesians 2, 1-10 was one long run-on sentence. The translators added periods later on, uh, probably so it would be easier to read. And there are some natural ways to break it up. But if we look back to how Paul intended for the Ephesians to read this passage, his intent was that it would all be read together. And the reason being is, if you read Ephesians 1-3, to 2, 1 to 3, which is the depravity of man, who we are with, with, you know, without Christ. And we're going to dive into that a little bit here later. If you only read that, that would be pretty depressing, right? They wouldn't be as poignant as if they were read with verses 4 to 10. But if we only read verses 4 to 10, which are God's rescue mission, if that's all we read, I don't think that they quite pack the punch that they would if they were not separated from verses 1 to 3. So Paul thought it was a good idea to have all of these thoughts slammed together. And this morning, I'm going to do my best to 
keep it cohesive and clear and keep us on track as we do the same. Because it's really easy to get into the weeds here. And like I said, that would be a good thing for you to do for the rest of your life. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. But I want to see it from a more thematic level this morning. So, the main theme of verses 1 to 10 this morning is this. God's impartial grace for salvation and for every good thing. God's impartial grace for salvation and for every good thing. One of the things you're going to notice in this passage is that you contributed nothing to your salvation and you contribute nothing spiritually to the good works that God prepared beforehand. We step into those things, but it's only because of God's impartial grace that we have them. Your salvation only happened because God was impartial with His grace toward you. It was all and only the grace of God. And what's really interesting about this 10-verse passage is that Paul actually doesn't give an application. He doesn't give an action step or an exhortation. All he does is teach the truth surrounding your individual salvation in light of God's impartial grace. The reason he does that is because I think, I think that Paul wanted the Ephesians to have a bigger view of God with this 10-verse passage. And I think that he wanted us to have a bigger view of grace. He does this in a really, uh, really fun and cool way, a style of writing called contrast. Contrast. He contrasts who we are without Christ with what Christ did for us during our rebellion. And so that's where he accomplishes the theme that God's impartial grace was needed for your salvation and for every good thing. Now, before we move on, it's important to note that this is written to believers. So when you read Ephesians 2, 1-10, that begins with a terrifying sentence. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's scary. That's terrifying. When you read that, it's important to note that Paul wrote that to already changed believers who were walking with God. One of the reasons that this is important for us to note this morning is because Paul did not write this as a scare tactic for non-believers. He wasn't writing this so that you would tell non-believers, look at all of the ways that you're completely separated from God. That's not really how Jesus shared the Gospel. He did write it to believers because it's important and good for Christians to often remember where you are without God. It's important and good for you to often look back and see who you were without God and what God did for you. So it's not a scare tactic. It's actually meant for encouragement. And so the first thing that he contrasts is who we are without Christ. Verses 1-3. to I'm going to read it again. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, 
like the rest of mankind. Paul's pointing out something very drastic here. Who we are without Christ. This is what he says. If you don't have Jesus, you are spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. If you don't have Christ, if He is not the center of your world, then you are spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, it's also important to point out what Paul's not saying. He's not saying that if you're not a Christian, you can't do good things. You know, this is a really this is a confusing point for a lot of us that the Bible doesn't teach that if you're not a Christian, you can't do good things. You can do so many good things. I mean, just being able to, to help someone in need is a good thing, whether you believe in God or not. Everyone thinks that. That's a good thing. So Paul's not saying that if you're not a Christian, you can't do good things. What he's saying is that from a spiritual level, the state of your heart without Christ is spiritual death. So he goes on to explain. What's a trespass? You're dead in your trespasses and sins. A trespass is something that you do, the action that you take that is unrighteous. It's breaking the law of God by something that you do, uh, whether knowingly or not knowingly. So um, a trespass can be something that you do uh, against God's law that you didn't even know you weren't supposed to do. Because unfortunately for the law in every culture, pleading ignorance doesn't exonerate you from the crime. So if you commit a crime and you didn't know it was a crime, you still have to pay for the crime. And so a trespass is anything that you do, knowingly or not knowingly, that is anti-God, anti-righteousness, anti-Christ. And that in itself is enough to separate you from God and to, to be dead in your trespass. We could go really, really deep and look at all different t- types of trespasses. We could probably you know, do a survey and find out all the trespasses that each of us have done. But I don't think that that's kind of what we're meant to do with this passage. I think Paul is just trying to explain that trespasses are there. And they're in your life. And that is enough to separate you from God. And so he points out some of the ways we do trespass. We follow the course of the world. He goes one step deeper. We follow the prince of the power of the air, which is is Satan. And we carry out the evil desires of our flesh. So what Paul's saying is, if your ethic, the way that you think and what you do, is not a kingdom ethic, the actions that you take, if they are anti-kingdom of God, then that is a trespass. And in that, you carry out the evil desires of your flesh and you walk not with God, but with the enemy. He goes even one step farther than that with who we are outside of Christ. We're not just dead in our trespasses, we're also dead in our sins. Also dead in our sins. If trespasses are the things that we do that are unrighteous, that separate us from God, then sin is the deep undercurrent of motivation for your trespass. So Paul is saying, hey, here's a list of things that you can do that are trespasses against God. And there were probably people in the crowd that were like, I actually don't do any of those. So I'm good. And he takes it a step farther. You're not just, sin, you're not just dead in the things that you do and you don't do that are anti-God. 
You're actually spiritually dead because you have sin in your life. And sin is the disease that infects every person who's ever, ever lived, brought on by Adam in the garden. In Romans 5.12, Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. It's not that we are only dead in our actions, but that we are also desperately wicked without God. Paul means to uh, explain it farther so that you can not get off the hook by saying, well, I'm a pretty good person. Right? I'm pretty good. Paul's trying to say that spiritually speaking, without Christ, there are no good people. You weren't good. Now remember, this is for believers. So as you look back to your life, you're meant to look and see, actually, I wasn't that good of a person. I probably didn't deserve this salvation. He describes it by this in verse 3. You were by nature children of wrath. I mean, this is some pretty heavy, drastic stuff. This is like Bane when he's fighting Batman in The Dark Knight Rises, right? Okay, everyone's awake. I hear you. They're like down in that little, I don't know what you call it, underneath his, his lair, underneath Wayne Enterprises. And Bane is just beating down on Batman and he's like, I was molded by the darkness. That was pretty good, right? We were not just molded by sin. We were not just brought up in sin. We were born in it. It was our condition long before we could speak. There's a really famous Greek proverb that says, God only helps those who can help themselves. Now, this would actually be pretty known in that region because that was a proverb from like before Jesus' time. And so the Greeks would have known, like this is real. If I can give some good action in my life, then God's going to help me along the way. So I probably should do some good things. The notion was that you could tap into some sort of goodness and then God would intervene. But Paul is teaching a much different doctrine of man than Greece taught. Greece taught that we could um, do some good things and God would intervene. Paul taught you can't. You're spiritually dead. And this is amazing because God is not only helping those who can help themselves. God helps the helpless. God helps the helpless. You are not able to help yourself. God helped you when you were completely and utterly cut off. Now why does Paul describe humanity in this way? Because this is pretty heavy, right? Why is this the first step to the individual Gospel for you? One of the reasons is because it is good for Christians to look back and remember who we are without Christ. But the other reason is that Paul uses extreme contrast to magnify the extreme beauty of Christ. The smaller that you see your sin, the smaller the beauty of Christ is to you. 
the larger that you see your sin, the larger the beauty of Christ is. If you were really, really close to God's standard and He just brought you the rest of the way, it doesn't really produce full-on joy and gratitude. But if you realize you could do nothing, nothing about you was able to accept God, it's at that point where His beauty becomes great because He accepted you when you were unable to do anything for yourself. And the effect for the Christian is meant to be exploding gratitude for what God has done for you. Paul wants to make it clear. You had nothing to contribute. It's all and only God's impartial grace. And if it wasn't that, it wouldn't be salvation. You wouldn't be in need of saving. It would just be you know, some nice story about a really good teacher. But it really is a salvation and you really do need saving. And there really needed to be a rescue mission because you were cut off. And in Christ, you're saved by God from your trespass and your sin and darkness and Satan and yourself. Now, here's where it's really important that you continue on with the last seven verses in Ephesians 2, 1-10 because, like I said, this is not meant to be doom and gloom. You're not meant to read this and then like pray and say, alright, everyone leave. That, that was great. That's not the point. The point is we're meant to see just how big God is. You were once deserving of wrath and now you are given mercy. Can you believe it? You were once dead and now alive. Major key to unlocking gratitude in your life is remembering your former condition without God. But not leaving it there because the goal is not to wallow in your self-pity. And it's not, you know, it's not to just like remember that and just beat yourself up. It's that you are meant to have a clear and sober and real view of your heart without God. You're meant to have a real and true and clear and sober view of yourself. And in that, you can have a clear and true and robust view of God and what His love looks like. So that brings us to the rescue mission. He co- so Paul contrasts who we are with, without Christ to what God did for us even though we were cut off. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. But God. Verse 1, you were dead in your trespass and sin. Verse 4, but God. This phrase is the crux of Christianity. This phrase, but God, was used 40 times throughout the Bible. And that's God interjecting His grace in ways where it was hopeless and helpless without Him. And so, being cut off completely from God and God coming into the picture is not just a theme in Ephesians 2, but it's the theme of the entire Bible. Here's just a few examples of but God. Psalm 73.26 is this. My flesh and my heart may fail, 
but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 1 Corinthians 1.27 But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And then in verse 4 of Ephesians 2, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, made us alive together with Christ. Jesus did not just intervene when we were cut off and dead. He made us alive. When did Jesus make us alive? This is the... I mean, this is the end-all, be-all. Jesus made us alive when we were dead. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. Our salvation is 100% a rescue mission. If you were drowning in the sea, Jesus didn't throw out a life raft and then have you swim to shore. He saw you kicking and screaming and panicking and and going underneath the water and not breathing anymore. And He jumped in and He carries your dead weight to safety. And this is where the theme of God's impartial grace really, really shines. It's that even when you were dead in your trespasses, God made us alive. There's nothing that we could have done to earn His grace. It happened when we were dead. And this is like the Princess Bride, right? Where there's partly dead and there's dead dead. You guys know that part? You were not partly dead. You couldn't like conjure up the little potion and put it in your mouth. You were dead dead. And in our dead dead state, Christ made us alive. Paul uses this extreme language because we're meant to read this and remember, oh yeah, you're right. I didn't have anything to give and God still saved me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. That's the real rescue mission. The real rescue mission is that you had nothing to give at all and God was impartial towards you and gave you grace. The common idiom is that God accepts you just as you are. But it's actually a little bit different than that. The reality that Paul teaches here is that God accepts you despite who you are. It's not that God accepts you just as you are, and He does in one sense, but in a more real sense, God accepts you despite who you are. And the subtle difference of grace is the rescue mission. We had nothing to give but God. And then he goes even one step farther than that. He doesn't stop at just grace being the gift that he gives. He goes to this spot. It's even faith that he gave to you as a gift. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So Paul's saying, the grace that you were given for salvation is a gift. You were cut off. 
you were dead, but also the faith that it took to confess your life in God's hands was also a gift that God gave you. He makes it even more drastic and even more clear that we had nothing to contribute. The faith that it took to believe in God was a gift that God gave you. This was not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. And if grace is the gift that God gives you, and faith is the gift that God gives you, then as a Christian, we're not actually meant to boast in our ability to pick God, to choose God. There's a quote in your notes from Sinclair Ferguson that says this, Grace eliminates boasting. It suffocates boasting. It silences any and all negotiations about our contribution before they can even begin. By definition, we cannot qualify for grace in any way, by any means, or through any action. This quote is meant for us to see that we cannot earn or merit God's grace towards us by anything we do. So even thinking rightly about God doesn't give you more right to His grace than someone else. And that's truly incredible because even if you don't think anything right about God, if you think God doesn't exist, you still can have the impartial grace of God make you alive. So thinking rightly about God doesn't give you hierarchy over any other person. It actually is only and all because God was impartial in His grace towards you. You have been saved through your faith, which was not of your own doing. It was the gift of God. And if it was the gift of God, then salvation, your salvation, was not your own doing. It was also a gift of God. And it wasn't based on your ability to choose the right thing, even. It was based on God and on His impartial grace. Now, if your salvation was based on your ability to have enough faith, then it would actually not be based on grace. It would be based on your goodness. Because you must have been smarter than someone else. You chose right and others didn't. But if that was true, that would nullify grace. Thank God that that's not the reason. You were dead, and when you were dead, helpless and hopeless, God made you alive. Here's what I'm trying to get at. If you are saved in here this morning, you did not woo God. God wooed you. And He wooed you unto Himself. Do you see how Paul's contrast is meant to humble us and give us gratitude and give us joy? He's trying to point out to the, to the Ephesians, you shouldn't be boasting in the fact that you know God. Don't boast in that. Boast in Him. You didn't do anything to earn your salvation. And if that's true... That's really, really good news because it means that nobody is too far from God for His rescue mission. Nobody is too cut off. No one is too far away for God to make alive. And then he even goes one step farther than that. 
Grace of salvation is the gift. The faith that it takes is the gift. But also your good works are a gift as well. Here's what he says in verse 10. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which we got to hear a couple times today, which is amazing, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you see what he's saying? We're not even as Christians meant to boast in the good things that we do because if you do good works in Christ, you only did those good works because God prepared the good works for you beforehand. So even your good works is an act of God's impartial grace to you. So you can't say, look how good I am. Look at all the great things that I've done. You're meant to boast in Christ. The major theme of your salvation is you were cut off from God and He gave you the grace to be saved, the grace to have faith, and the grace for your life to become good. We needed all of the grace all of the time, for the rest of our life. And that's the point. There's no place for boasting. No place for boasting at all. I said that there was no action step. There was no exhortation. But I do think there's one application for us this morning. And it's this. Boast in Jesus. Boast in Jesus. Read this 10-verse passage Hear who you are without Jesus and what He did for you. And then the response is thankfulness and gratitude for what He has done. Not because I had anything to give to Him. Not because I had all the right things to say. Not because I gave the right prayer. Not because I loved my family perfectly. Not because I did anything absolutely right that God gave me grace. It was only in all because of God's good work. And so we boast in Him and not in ourselves. And if you're not a Christian in here this morning, that's really good news because it means you you also don't have to do all the really right things to be a Christian. Jesus was sent down on a rescue mission for you too. No one is too far off. No one is too dead in their trespasses and sins for God. He will meet you exactly where, you are, where you're at and love you despite who you are and what you've done. I'm going to pray. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.